0: This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Turla tunes its tools. The commodity Trojan anarchy grabber is now stealing passwords. A new iOS jailbreak has been released. The UK reconsiders its decision to allow Huawei into its 5G networks. A tech group lobbies the U.S. House against warrantless inspection of searches, remote works regulatory risk, COVID-19 conspiracy theories. Hackers say they're vigilantes. Our own Rick Howard on intrusion kill chains, his latest episode of CSO Perspectives. Our guest is Nico Fischbach from Forcepoint on deepfakes expanding outside of disinformation campaigns to the enterprise. And too many remote workers appear to have too much time on their hands. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, May 26, 2020. ESET reports a development in Turla's tactics. The Russian threat group, also known as Snake, has updated its old comrade backdoor, also known as Agent BZT or Chinch, and probably in use since 2007. It now uses the Gmail web user interface for command and control, and many security systems interpret Gmail traffic as innocent. It's also adopted the practice of collecting antivirus logs, the better to evaluate whether it's being detected. ZDNet says that the targets of Turla's recent campaigns are non-Russian military and diplomatic organizations. The freely distributed commodity Trojan anarchy grabber, Known for its use in stealing Discord tokens, has been updated with new functionality. According to Bleeping Computer, the latest version, Anarchy Grabber 3, steals plain text passwords and commands an infected device to spread the malware to the user's Discord friends. The stolen passwords are thought to be destined for use in credential stuffing attacks. Another reason, as if any more were required, to avoid reusing passwords. Hackers at Uncover have developed a jailbreaking tool for iOS devices, The Verge reports. Vice says the jailbreak uses a kernel zero-day that Apple's been unaware of. Jailbreaks give users more control over their devices. They can also expose those devices to exploitation. Jailbreaking a device should be approached with caution. It's not known yet what zero-day Uncover found in iOS. Doubtless Apple and others will be looking for it. Under parliamentary pressures from the ruling Tory majority and diplomatic undertakings from the U.S. and Australia, the British government is reconsidering its decision to allow Huawei to participate in the country's 5G build-out, TechCrunch reports. The government is now drawing up plans that would remove Huawei from the country's 5G infrastructure by the year 2023. The government had formerly planned to cap Huawei's share of the British market at 35%, and to exclude the company from participation in core infrastructure. Under the new plans, at least three of the Five Eyes are now relatively closely aligned in their approach to the risk of infrastructure being compromised by Chinese intelligence services. The U.S. had suggested that allowing Huawei and similar companies into a country's networks would gravely limit the amount and quality of information the U.S. would be willing to share with its allied counterparts. The British move comes after a week in which the U.S. announced stiffer export controls that would effectively keep U.S.-developed semiconductors out of Huawei's hands. Huawei acknowledges that the latest export controls would impose a hardship on the company. They're also expected to drive Chinese hardware in the direction of greater independence. A tech industry group has written the U.S. House of Representatives urging explicit prohibition of warrantless collection of Internet search and browsing history in the USA Freedom Reauthorization Act. There's another self-described vigilante campaign underway. The hackers' cyberware have told Bleeping Computer that they're punishing scammers with Milkman Victory ransomware, as they told the publication, lapsing into a brief shadow-broker-esque uncertainty about articles. Quote, The victims are saying they give loan, but you first have to pay and then you get nothing. End quote. In this case, Milkman Victory is really functioning as a wiper, since cyberware isn't offering a decryption key. When a target is infected, it displays a note from the attackers. Hello, the cheery message begins. This computer has been destroyed with the Milkman Victory ransomware because we know you are a scammer. And it's signed with a punctuational smiley, a colon, a hyphen, and a right parenthesis. Cyberware says it's gone after one particular German loan company that's also been hit with a distributed denial-of-service attack. Let's remain agnostic about whether the target had it coming. Hackers, even vigilante hackers, aren't entitled to a presumption of righteousness. Remote work of the kind so many organizations are currently using involves exposure to some forms of legal risk. The Information Commissioner's Office in the UK has offered guidance on how it intends to treat data protection regulations during periods of widespread remote work. Computer Weekly's gloss on that guidance is simple. Quote, in practice, this means that remote working is not an excuse to implement less stringent security measures than you would have otherwise had in place. The standard remains that organizations must ensure that an appropriate level of security is applied to the personal data that they process. End quote. Nico Fishbach is global CTO at security firm Forcepoint. He explains the potential for deepfakes to expand outside of
1: disinformation campaigns to the enterprise. So I think today, you know, most people understand what a deepfake is and the, the level of awareness has really changed because, you know, they've been a little bit used and abused uh, late last year and early this year, uh, especially on social media. And it also made kind of the news, you know, the, the more regular newspapers. And um, I think the fact that many large social media and, and platform players have come up with ways to detect some of them and, you know, even help maybe mitigate the spread of them. You know, I think the awareness is, is, has really changed. Funnily enough, though, I, I was expecting, you know, many more. Obviously, the, uh, the topic, you know, was the, uh, the, uh, the 2020 U.S. election coming up. And Mm -hmm. I was expecting, you know, COVID and um, the the noise around COVID also to be used, you know, in in a deep fake arena, but I haven't seen many, you know, most of them were to make fun, you know, sadly of things, but, um, Hmm. you know, not that many to actually, you know, attack the enterprise using, you know, the uh, the COVID uh, themed uh, messaging. So where do you suppose we're headed then? What are the concerns for enterprise? I think the, the concern is that it's, it's another tool in the arsenal of the bad guys. Um, you know, clearly with the, the stress level and, and the social engineering happening when it comes to phishing, uh, you know, enterprises, you know, especially the, uh, the, the chief information security officer, they need to, to start or to continue to educate the users about, you know, this new way or this new medium that's being used by, by the bad guys. To try to uh, to to break in, you know, be it into your account to, to compromise your, your credentials, or to get somebody inside an enterprise to do an action like you know wire money to an external account. So basically, explain to uh, to their user base that you know it's it's another form of trickery that's being used to to get you to do something, you know, under pressure or by by creating this 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 need that really doesn't exist.
0: What are your recommendations for people to defend themselves? How can we detect these sort of things?
1: It is a combination of of using you know security hygiene tools. Think of you know anti-spam, anti-phishing, uh, technologies, cloud security to make sure that the uh, the websites that host you know those videos sometimes get um, you know get blocked. I think that's the the technology side of things. I think user education and you know security awareness is is key. And, uh, you know, I was just reading some stats yesterday, you know, those type of SaaS offerings when it comes to security awareness and training, you know, have grown. It's not just, you know, the Zooms and the collaboration tools, but it's also those type of tools. So I think the, uh, the CISOs recognize that there's a technology element to it, but also there's an education, uh, you know, item that needs to be addressed.
0: That's Nico Fischbach from Forcepoint. Among the lamentable cultural artifacts of the pandemic are the various conspiracy theories that have gurgled to the cultural surface. A BuzzFeed piece outlines the form the imagined conspiracies are taking in sections of the popular imagination. It's a familiar shape. Wealthy forces operating behind the scenes are manipulating world events with a hidden hand for their own malign purposes. Historically, the conspiracy has usually involved the Illuminati or the Rothschilds, But in this case, the maligned force the theorists perceive is Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates, who's held by many to be lashed up with the traditional bugaboos. So what's everybody been doing with all these hours at home? Spending time with the family, improving themselves through edifying reading, learning a new craft, scrapbooking, watching cooking shows for recipes that would help them prepare a nice meal for the loved ones with whom they're sheltering, tending a victory garden. Well, probably not, at least if the telegraph is to be believed. Mostly, they're consuming adult content, consumption rate up a whopping 292%, streaming TV, up as much as 179% on some services, and, of course, playing online games, up 98%. That's in the UK, of course, and the study is based on observations of people who use Generate's browser add-on, But it seems reasonable to assume that things aren't much different elsewhere, however your system is configured. Organizations may have to deal with some less than seemly habits that have developed during this period of self-isolation. We have it on the good authority of Baltimore Sports Talk Radio that people are actually so out of whack that there's a brisk betting traffic in Russian ping-pong. Trust us, the Illuminati have nothing to do with that. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's chief analyst. Uh, Rick, welcome back to the show. I wanted to touch base with you about something that I know you've been spending some time on, and that's uh, taking a look at some of the first principles that we have in cybersecurity and some of the long-term implications of that. What do you have to share with us?
2: Yeah, it's one of my pet peeves, Dave, for, geez, forever now. You know, I started back in the day like you did and. We made a bunch of assumptions uh, as far back as the early 1990s about how we should do cybersecurity. And, you know, it's 2020 now. And uh, the question is, uh, were those early decisions the right ones? And I've been fascinated with the idea that we could apply some first principle thinking to cybersecurity to see if we could prioritize what we've been working on and maybe discard some of the old stuff that doesn't really work that well.
0: Well, give me some examples here. What kind of stuff uh, do you have on your mind?
2: Well, it's interesting. If you think about if I'm trying to protect, let's say, the CyberWire's uh, infrastructure, Okay, what is the most important thing that we should be worried about? All right? And mm. if you ask that question to any network defender out there, I bet we get about 100 different answers. And I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I've gone through lots of gyration. So should I hit you with it? It's pretty simple. It's like you could fit it on a Twitter line.
0: <laughs> well, I, I mean, my, my first uh, reaction was tasty snacks in the break room, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm <laughs> guessing that's probably not at the top of your list. So it's,
2: please, go ahead. It's the second one, okay, but okay. not the first one. All right. <laughs> so if you think about what we're trying to do, okay, a lot of people think we should stop all breaches or prevent all attacks or react quickly to an attack, and none of that is good enough, right? That is not what we're trying to do because it's really hard to convey that kind of information to your senior leaders or even to the board. So here's what I think it is: we're trying to reduce the probability of a material impact to our organization due to a cyber event. And I want to parse that a little bit, okay? Because yeah. remember, I don't, it's not, I'm not trying to stop all attacks. All right. What I'm doing is reducing the likelihood that something like that will happen. So what do you think? Am I getting you with this at all?
0: Yeah, you are. I mean, I I find it helpful to think about a lot of this stuff in terms of comparing it to public health policy. And and in other words, you're never going to keep everybody from getting a common cold. But there are many things we can do to cut down the likelihood that someone will get a common cold. And is is that along the lines of what you're talking about here?
2: It's exactly right. And it goes to how we talk about this with our board members, right? Is if you go to them and say, I need a gazillion dollars to, you know, do my pet cybersecurity project this year, they have no way to judge whether or not that's good unless, you know, they're scared to death and they may give you the money or they may not. But if I instead I can go to them and say, we can do these three things. And we reduce the probability that we will be materially impacted. And that's a decision they can weigh and weigh it against all the other risks that they are dealing with uh, in their, you know, and when they do their daily jobs.
0: Does that also help sort of spread out that responsibility that, uh, you know, it's not all on the security folks that you're you're putting some of that decision making of where we're going to apply our resources and where we're going to dial in different amounts of risk? You're you're moving that up the food chain, as it were.
2: Yeah, it absolutely is. I think we we made a mistake early on in, uh, you know, the network defender community by trying to hold all that responsibility on our own, right? And really, the mistake we made is assuming or trying to convey the idea that cybersecurity risk is somehow different than all the other business risks that, you know, senior leaders have to deal with. And after 25 years of doing this, it's just not true, okay? It's just another risk, Right. And if so, if I go to the boss and say, Hey, here's some I need some money to do X, the boss is gonna weigh okay, that risk compared to all the other things he's got to spend money and resources on. And so I think we've made that mistake as a community.
0: Yeah. All right, Rick. Well, thanks for joining us. You can check out the latest episode of Rick's podcast, CSO Perspectives, when you sign up for Cyberwire Pro. The most recent episode is about intrusion kill chains. Rick, always great to have you on the show. Thank you, sir.